America is live and underway on this Monday night on ESPN Plus alongside Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebastian Salazar. Herc, how you doing over there? What you got on that shirt? Well, this is uh, something I thought about when I realized I had to work with you again. It says, uh, I am a Ferrari amongst Fiats. Ooh, you cut me deep. You cut me deep. And here I was about to mention that we, we just missed a very important uh, anniversary. You know, we're, we love a good on this date on this show. And it was 10 years ago, Herc, yesterday, your free kick banger against Jamaica in World Cup qualifying. What a moment that was One for everybody. 1-0, Jamaica, Columbus, always in my wow. heart. Wow. Well, it would have been for yesterday's show. we got a lot to come oh. on today's show. Uh, Jeff Carlisle is going to join us here on Football Americas to discuss, among other things, the fallout hurt from, remember, the Spygate scandal down in Orlando at the Open Cup final. we got Ethan Horvath's interview with Sam Borden as the latest installment in our Road to Qatar series. we got Santiago Jimenez heating up in Holland, or maybe we should say staying hot in Holland, and a tough schedule coming up in October for the U.S. women's national team. But let's start, Herc, in Liga MX, where Club América has set a club record for consecutive wins. How you like them apples? Nine victories in a row after they beat Necaxa away on Saturday by a final score of 2-1. to one. Necaxa actually took the lead in the first 10 minutes, but América rallied thanks to goals from Jonathan Dos Santos. Yes, Jonathan Dos Santos. And uh, as you see there, Roger Martinez, the win leaves Las Aguilas in first place, even with Monterrey on points, but with a better goal difference and a game in hand, game in hand. on Rayados. Mm. All right, Herc. So what is, because I know if anyone can find it, it's you. What is this Club America's weakness? If I had to find a weakness, because let's just say it. Are you admitting you're stretching? You're stretching to find a weakness? Are you admitting that? No, not stretching, but they've been impressive. Uh, Not just because of the nine straight victories, Mm -hmm. but it's the way they are winning. They are clearly playing the best brand of football in all the Liga Mekis. And in my eyes, they're the best team in North America today. It's just a reality. But if I had to find a weakness with them, I think it's pretty notable that it's going to be Tan Ortiz. Just look at this game right here. They rested players against Necaxa. You just saw Jonathan, Mm -hmm. uh, um, excuse me, Dos Santos scoring a goal. You saw Rogers scoring a goal. That's because the starters weren't playing. They mixed it up versus Necaxa when they probably should have waited to mix it up versus Santos midweek because what comes after is going to be El Clásico versus Chivas, Clásico Nacional. So if I had to pick one, it's going to be Tan Ortiz, and we can go back to the playoffs of last year. Mm -hmm. Playoffs in a two-legged series versus Pachuca. A two-legged series where he sits out Richard Sanchez in leg one, saving him for leg two, mm-hmm. and pretty much throws away that series. A series where instead of playing Henry Martin, he experiments with Federico Viñas, and it doesn't go his way, where they lose on aggregate four to one. This is, if I had to pick something, had to find something, what's most noticeable? Uh, notable, I should say, it's their manager, the lack of experience by Dano Ortiz. And listen, there's only one way to gain that experience, but you've learned many times, tenfold over that in Liga MX, in playoffs, in Liguilla, it's about what you do in the post-tempora. And Guillermo Almada ate his lunch last time. Okay, so Tan Ortiz, you're worried about him as the manager, right? I have to say that on this program, you have been wrong about Tan Ortiz before. You have not given him his due, Herc. When he was an interim manager last time against Pachuca, when I told you he would. When he was an interim manager, you didn't want them to give him the job. Then, when he got off to a slow start this season, you wanted him to fire him, and he's still there. He's pulled this <laughs> team out of a, out of a downward spiral twice now, Herc, and you have still continued you got to me doubt confused him. Confused with Pedrosa. 
let, 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 me, let me understand exactly what your concern is with Don Ortiz, because I, I do maybe understand a little bit here. Is it that he's going to pick the wrong lineup? Because right now, I don't know if he knows what that best 11 is for Club America. There's so many options up top. There's so many options in midfield. I even think like we've seen a little bit of, of instability in terms of who's going to really be on that back line. But, but, but what? So for me, that's maybe the question with Don Ortiz is, does he know what the best 11 is yet? Is that your big concern that he's no, going to get the I, lineup I think he, wrong? I think he realizes his best 11. I just think in the critical moments of Ligia managing a two-leg series, it's where it's going to be all foreign to him where it's going to be new to him, where he struggled against Pachuca, where Guillermo Almada ate his lunch last postseason. So it you don't think evident. he has the technical nous. You don't the tactical nous. You don't think he's got the tactics for it? No, it's not that I don't think he has the tactics for it, but if I need to find a weakness in this team, I think he's the glaring weakness. It's the inexperience of Tano Ortiz. Because everybody talks about this nine-game stretch of victories, which is very impressive. But is it more impressive than 73 points in the calendar year, which was historic in Liga Mekis? Because... The guy who he took over for, Solari, he did that. Mm. He did that in two seasons. So we can sit here until we're blue in the face and talk about how impressive this is. But the reality is, and you know this very well, you're an Americanista. You mm -hmm. won't care unless he lifts the cup. If they're one and out again to Pachuca again, because it was Solari to Pachuca that he was gone, and now it was Tano Ortiz to Pachuca and he's gone. If he's one and done again, it doesn't matter what kind of streak you had. It doesn't matter how good you were in said streak. It's a fracaso. It's a fracaso to you, to your team, to your fan base, and to the ownership group. So it could be a fracaso that ends up being your last fracaso with said team. All right. There it is. Uh, Club America. According to Herc, it sounds or like do you headed, not agree? headed to a fracaso. No, of course. With Club America, you have to with it no, the trophy. No, what's their weakness? At the end of the season. Honestly... I don't know that I really feel super confident in the defense. I know that's crazy because they haven't given up a ton of goals. 12 goals. But, like, yeah. but Nestor Araujo has like moved all around, hasn't always been in there. Is it Bruno Valdez and Cáceres? Like what is, is it a back two? Is it a back three, which we've seen them play at sometimes? Lara's novice, yeah. Yep. I, I just think, I think for me, even though the, the goals against says they're very good defensively, that might be also a, a concern. If I were ever to be a, a pessimistic, Herc, America fan, which you know in, in, in how I am with my fandoms, I can be pessimistic you? from time to time. Uh, let's stay on the Club America train and we'll focus in here next, Herc, on Alejandro Sendejas, okay? Uh, why? Because ESPN is reporting that the U.S. men's national team is continuing to follow the progress of the dual national attacker who's having a great season with Las Aguilas in Liga MX. Sendejas was born in Mexico, raised in El Paso, has represented the U.S at youth national team level, and he's also played for Mexico, as we know, into senior friendlies. Now, despite the apparent interest, Herc, important to note, sources are telling ESPN Mexico there's been no direct contact between Zendejas and U.S. soccer. All right, Herc. So, time is running out. We've got the September friendlies coming up. Should the United States and Greg Berhalter call up Alejandro Zendejas? Yes, you should call him up. And people are going to start naming Christian Pulisic, Timothy Weah, Brendan Aronson, Giovanni Reina. But we're stacked in the wings, they're going to say, all these fans mm -hmm. who are the U.S. Mm -hmm. men's national team. He's not really a winger. And when he broke out in Liga MX, it was with Necaxa as an interior, as an eight, where he was the highest goal-scoring Mexican in Liga MX. He had his breakout year playing in that position. And when I look at the names. When mm -hmm. I look at the depth chart for the U.S. men's national team in the midfield, you've got two locks. For, okay, you got Weston McKinney as an eight, and you got Eunice Musa as an eight. Then there's Luca De La Torre, and then you have, wait a second, where am I going here? It, 
because Greg Berhalter was using Christian Roldan. He was using Seb Sebastian Legette. There's been a strong cry for people about Jordi uh, Mikhailovich and Malik Tillman. Mm -hmm. And I've been on that train. But Gio if you're Reyna's telling me... been mentioned as a potential well, player move, in midfield. To move, right? But if you had to go straighten out just midfielders, this is where I think Sendejas could not only compete and fight for, but maybe push out one mm -hmm. or two guys. So if you're telling me that he can't swim in that very, very shallow end after you're talking about the locks, wow. I don't believe you. And, hmm. and through the history of the U.S. men's national team, at least the recent history, we've seen surprises every World Cup cycle. You look at 2014, it was John Brooks, Julian Green. You look at 2010, Robbie Finley, Edson Buttle, your boy, 2006, Clint Dempsey, Jimmy Conrad, was it Eddie Johnson? 2002, Paolo Mastorani, uh, these two kids named Demarcus Beasley and Landon Donovan who had like a handful, if that, of World Cup uh, qualifying games. So there's been surprises All throughout this history. All more than Zendejas. All more than Zendejas. Well, I didn't have more than Zendejas. You hadn't played more with the national team than he has? He hasn't played at all. Well, hold on, hold on. I didn't have World Cup cycle. I had zero games in the World Cup cycle. Edson Buttle had zero games in the World Cup cycle. Robbie Finley had zero games in the World Cup cycle. This would not be a stretch mm -hmm. if you look at the depth. Now, it's a stumper call-up. You got to see what he can do. And if well, he's there, he's there, and you give him a fighting chance. Given the fact that it's a September call-up, right? You only call him up if you think he has a chance to make the team, right? You don't, have, you don't have the opportunity or, or time to waste. There's no future here. This is legit only if he makes, has a chance to make the team. What percentage would you put that at right now? If you look at Alejandro Zendejas, you just listed off all these players in midfield because you don't consider him a winger. What percentage chance would you put it at? I would put it at zero. I would put it at zero percent that he makes the team, either as a winger or a midfielder. We can go through can that I in be, a sec. Can I be honest? Yeah. He's got more of a chance than I did for the 2010 World Cup before the crazy circumstances that led to me getting on that flight. Mm. I mean, because if you look at everything that happened, Eddie Johnson was injured. Charlie Davis, Davies got an unfortunate car accident. Um, every striker that Bob Bradley had, okay. for some reason, ended up falling out. It was like a crazy turn of events that got me there. I think he's got more of a fighting chance than I did in that time. Okay, Let, let's, let's look at, at some of the guys. You mentioned the midfield, right? Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams, Eunice Musa, Luca Della Torre. You didn't mention Kellen Acosta, Roldan, Lechette, different Tillman. Positions. I mean, he's not, he's not really going to get – he's not going to break into that, is he? And he's certainly not going to break in so out wide. So it's 26 Aronson. players, right? And you're going to look at players that can offer you what? Versatility? versatility? Yeah, but out wide, it's Aronson, Pulisic, Reyna, Weya, Arriola. So I mean, this is he ahead of any of those guys? Because now you have a player that can play two positions, mm. multiple positions, and I think he's very good as an interior. Now, whether he takes him or not, I don't know. But if he takes him, I think he's got a fighting chance of getting on that flight. All right, what about the other perspective here, which is Zendejas? Because I'm thinking about this from the choices that he has, which are obviously U.S. or Mexico. If you were going to advise him, which would you advise him to pick? Looking at the depth chart you just went through with the United States and thinking about what the competition is with Mexico, i.e., which team needs him more? Because I, I think it's pretty clear it's Mexico. It is Mexico. And maybe even for this World Cup with Tecatito Corona mm -hmm. out. I mean, Tecatito Corona is out. You're looking at Orbelin Pineda. You're looking at... Diego Linus, and you're looking at Alexis Vega, and that's it. After that, Tata's yep. going with Pizarro. So, yep. yeah. And, and, if you, and if you think about midfield, like you said, he's versatile. Maybe he can play midfield. 
Andres Guardado barely got registered for Betis. Achiacha wow. hasn't played in Back what? Money. Three three weeks, almost a month. So there you go. There's there's a crisis building in that in that Mexican midfield. All right, uh, let's keep it moving here, Herc. Speaking of the U.S. men's national team and youth national team standouts, Alejandro Zendejas was one. So was Zach Steffen back in his day. Stefan, of course, uh, on loan from Manchester City to Middlesbrough in the championship, which you can watch on ESPN+. Reporter Alan Nixon, Herc, is reporting that Borough manager Chris Wilder wants to stick with Liam Roberts, the backup, who has played the last three games with Stefan out due to a knee injury. So we know this move was supposed to help secure Zach Stefan's hold on the U.S. and that number one job. Do you think his starting spot in Qatar, Herc, is now in jeopardy? It is. It is now in jeopardy. And I'd go as far as saying it's not only a starting job that's in jeopardy. It could be his roster spot hmm. in Qatar that's in jeopardy. Because per Zach Steffen on this very program, when you interviewed him, he stressed how important it was to play for a goalkeeper, for himself. So if you're not playing and if you're not available to play, you can't be available for consideration, especially when it's you're leaving the door open for somebody else, which has been something of a trend for Zach Steffen. Now, the injuries are unfortunate. You know how highly I value and rate Zach Steffen. I think when he's healthy, he's the clear number one for me. But if you're not healthy and you keep leaving this door open, and we've seen it leave it left open at the national team level, we can go back to the CONCACAF Nations League final. He comes out injured, and it's Ethan Horvat who comes in and plays hero, stopping an Andres Guardado penalty kick. And all of a sudden, Ethan Horvat is thrown into the equation. And, and then for injury worries again, he leaves the door open to Matt Turner. And then Matt Turner goes on to have a ridiculous Gold Cup. And then he has good outings with the U.S. men's national team. It's being left open and players are taking advantage of it. Now, if you go down to the championship to play, you need to play. You can't be the backup there. And if that's the case, that's not only putting his starting position in jeopardy, that's putting his roster spot in jeopardy. The question here is how much faith do you think ha you think Greg Berhalter has in Zach Steffen? I think we go back to that Mexico game, remember, where there was big doubts with Steffen ready. And in that huge spot, even with Steffen not playing, not having that consistency, Greg Berhalter went with him. It would seem like a real stretch for me that he would forget about him, as you're saying, maybe entirely to the point where he went from the number one discussion to maybe falling out oh, of the top and, three and not making it to the And Qatar. I'm talking about falling out of the top three just due to injury. I mean, I'm talking about staying available, staying sure. ready. I mean, sure. selection is one thing. Like with the coach values, you're not. But it, you can't even give him the chance to select you because you're not healthy. That's the trend with Zach Steffen and leaving doors open. And I agree with you because it's Matt Turner on this very program that said, hey, listen, Greg Berhalter in the big games, Mexico, Costa Rica, whether I liked it or not, went with Zach Steffen. Sure. It's one thing also to sit the bench when you're with City. It's another thing, right, to sit the bench with you in Middlesbrough. But this could, this is like a developing situation for the U.S., isn't it? Because you don't really have a ton of great options. We just saw Matt Turner get a start for Arsenal in the Europa League. Is, is he now the incumbent, basically? Is he, is he sitting in the driver's seat? I think so. And <clears throat> again, maybe to no fault of Zach Steffen's own because they're injuries, and it seems to be another knee injury, but since Dusseldorf, it's been an injury. And then he goes to City, and it's been injuries. With the U.S. men's national team, he's missed games because of injury. There seems to be a trend, and I've always heard throughout my career, it's better to be available than good. Well, this is a clear example of that. All right, so uh, we should probably mention Ethan Horvath and Sean Johnson as well. They're uh, in the mix. We'll discuss Ethan Horvath a little bit later on 
in the show. Uh, speaking of U.S. men's national team research, let's run it back. U.S. MNT edition. Jesus Ferreira with a couple goals against LAFC and a 2-1 win for FC Dallas. This one off the quick restart. Nice assist from Paul Areola, the heads-up play. Ah, ridiculous heads-up play. Was that a toe poke? Romario! That was a sick goal. And, and then I, I, I don't know if you can give him this, but they gave him this. This is more Bell goal to me. That's not going on target. That's curling away. Gareth Bell puts it in his own net. He'll take that. That's the 18 goal. 18 tying a Dallas single season goal scoring record. And he still has three games to go. Another product of the FC Dallas Academy, Ricardo Pepe off the bench and a game-winning assist for Groningen over the weekend as they beat SC Kambur 1-0. Pepe setting up Thomas Suslaw for the game's only goal. Groningen ninth in the table. Nice Eredivisie debut for Ricardo Pepe after his lone move to Augsburg. And of course, the Eredivisie available for you on ESPN+. All right, Herc, time to talk number nines. We got a lot of candidates for the U.S. striker position. It is only one assist, Herc, but uh, should Greg Berhalter call up Ricardo Pepe for the upcoming September friendlies with all the other options available to him? Remind me a few things. Uh, where are these friendlies? Europe. In Europe. Uh, a few other things. How many more games until the World Cup? Two, two unless games. we get another friendly uh, somewhere in the mix before okay. the World Cup. Right now, as we know, there are two, two games left for the World Cup. So Ricardo Pepe's coming off an abysmal time in the Bundesliga with uh, Osberg. He now has a new lease on life in the Eredivisie. Remind me again if there's one player you had to say save Greg Berhalter's job mm. in the opening window of World Cup qualifying. You who say would it. Be? it. You say it. You yeah. say it. Yeah. Who was it? Ricardo Pepe with the goals against Honduras very early on yeah, in the first window, because it third was an game, abysmal, abysmal showing against El Salvador. It was an even worse showing tie. Does Greg Berhalter owe him a Canada. spot in Qatar for that? No, 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 no. But listen to this, okay? okay. It was a terrible 45 minutes where you're down, where you're down a goal, okay? It's Ricardo Pepe who has a hand or foot in all four goals that you score in the second half that give you life, breathing room. It's also Ricardo Pepe that then goes on to score against Costa Rica and does well in the other games that give you some time to operate, some time to make things go well. And it's Ricardo Pepe who sought out advice from Greg Berhalter about where he should go in Europe. And it's Greg Berhalter who heavily influenced him to go to Osberg. So in Greg Berhalter's mind, maybe subconsciously he's going to feel indebted to him, at least to afford every opportunity to him to lose this position. I can think of no better way than saying, hey, here are two games in Europe. Show me what you have. Show me you can still do it because time's a ticking. I think he's in the September call-up, and I think this is Berhalter's way of saying, here's your chance. Okay. Last chance probably, right? Because if you give Pepe this shot, you're you're taking that chance away from somebody else. So I wonder who you think it's going to be. I mean, I'm imagining maybe there's three strikers called into this group, which we think is going to drop uh, around the midweek this week. Is it Pepe and Sargent and Ferreira? Is it Haji Wright in the mix? Is it Jordan Pifak? Like, who's, who is going to these call-ups with Pepe? If I think I can play Greg Berhalter's hand, how he would, mm -hmm. uh, Nico Estevez being a friend of his, being somebody who was in his coaching tree, FC Dallas trying to get into that uh, – MLS playoffs at a higher seed in the ah. Western Conference Final. I would think they've got a good understanding that probably Jesus Ferreira is on that flight. You would see more of a Euro-based forward system 
for, mm. or pull, I should say, for Greg Berhalter, I would think it's Josh Sargent, it is Jordan Pifak, and he will go with a um, Haji Wright. Haji Wright, all right. So uh, Brandon Vasquez then uh, getting left out as Ricardo well, Pepe. you expect. Haji Wright. You expect. Okay, so with both of them, both of them, four, a four-forward call-up. Look at that. Yeah. Uh, what, an, what an interesting, interesting roster twist that well, would be. Those are the we'll questions. All right, uh, U.S. Men's National Team against Japan. Uh, that's the first of two games. That's next Friday on ESPN2 and ESPN+. Plus. Coverage starts early, and by the way, Football Americas will be live post-game on ESPN+. Plus. Don't miss that special edition of the show. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Turning our attention to the Mexican national team now, Herc, where Santiago Jimenez continues to light it up since his move to Europe, going from Cruz Azul to Feyenoord in the Dutch top flight. The goals are the good news. There's also some bad news. Last week, Jimenez scored a brace coming off the bench in a Europa League defeat. One of the goals was via penalty, a penalty he was apparently not supposed to take. Feyenoord captain Orkan Koscu saying he was disappointed in Jimenez, who had, quote, disobeyed him as captain. There's been a big reaction in Netherlands to this, Herc. Are you cool with Santiago Jimenez's actions with his new team? Yeah, I'm cool with it. <laughs> let, me, let me tell really? you why. Let me, ta- let me really? tell you why. And I will tell you why, okay? I'm surprised. Uh, Orkin Kosu, the captain, mm-hmm. if you see the video, he didn't fight him very hard to give him the ball. Okay, and as a nine, what you want to do, especially when you're going to go play the Europa League, when you're going to debut in one of the biggest competitions in the world, that for you might be a dream is you want to make a good impression. You want to gain confidence with your new team. So as a nine, you need goals. Penalty kicks are usually freebies for those nines. Usually money, usually 100%. And that's what he did. That goal also gave him the confidence for, guess what, goal number two that would come later. So I'm cool with it because the captain didn't fight too hard. And I'm also under the sta- under assuming and understanding that Santiago Jimenez, just because of everything I've seen from him, either one of two things. Uh, it was made very clear that there are no hierarchies. So the coach didn't say this guy takes it or on the board it wasn't that guy takes it mm-hmm. and decided I should take it. And number two, he made it. So if you're the mm. captain, what's worse, doing that or publicly airing this type of thing for all to see? 
It's embarrassing for the captain that he would have to go to the public or the press on this. You could have just pulled the player aside and talked to him, and that would have been it. But you felt the need to publicly expose this type of dirty laundry. This is more on the captain than it is Santi Jimenez. You're a nine. You're a goal scorer. That's what you want to do. And as the captain, what do you want? You want to score the goal. He scored the goal. I would have thought that you as a former player would tell us everything that was wrong with this interaction, being having been in the locker room, that he had crossed some line, broken some rule. The captain does claim that there was a list, that the manager does have a list. The captain was number one on that list, so it was his penalty to take. What will his teammates think? Because he's not just... He's not just in effect, if you want to believe the captain, kind of disobeying him. His teammates he's also think he's a sucker. The captain's he's a sucker also disobeying for the, the coach. What take the, the coach ball say, her? That's what the teammates are going to think if this is really how it went down. You let a 21-year-old kid take the ball from me and you're a captain? What Seriously? does the manager think about Jimenez disobeying him? Let me tell you something about this, okay? I had mm -hmm. a situation like this, exactly like this happened with me. Chivas versus Santos, okay? I scored an early goal. Uh, we're still down 2-1. Two, two to one. Uh, Came on at halftime, scored a goal. Last minute of the game, okay? Penalty kick, our favor. Nobody wants to take the penalty. I just scored a goal. I go and take the penalty, okay? I end up missing the penalty against Chivas last second of the game. The coach kills me to the press. Publicly airs out everything like he wasn't on the list. He wasn't designated taker. I ate it, no problem. Next day at training, I go into his office and I reamed him out. I called him a sucker. I said, I can't believe this is how you would react to the press. This guy didn't want to take it. That guy didn't want to take it. He didn't want to take it. I was the only one with the stones to take it. And you know who misses those? The guys with the stones to take it. It's not always as cut and dry, Seb. It's not always black and white. Here's your list. Sometimes on the field, you got guys who shy away. Uh, buried in all this is the success, Santiago Jimenez. Uh, is having five games, four goals, one assist, all in less than 100 minutes, and all, Herc, without a start yet for Feyenoord. He is oh, by far Mexico's hottest number nine at the moment. And here's, here's, the, here's the makeup on Instagram. Captain and striker back together. Herc, are you buying it? All good? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, the captain's he's soft, man. I got to talk to Dennis the closely. Like, what? <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> All right, let's uh, run it back, El Tri style. And we'll actually start with Santiago Jimenez, the aforementioned, who scored a goal over the weekend in Feyenoord's 3-0 win over Sparta Rotterdam. There you see it uh, came in the 73rd minute. It's the local derby there for Feyenoord. And as mentioned, that's now four goals since arriving in Europe for the ex-Cruz Azul man, Santiago Jimenez. And after the big win over their local rivals, Jimenez spoke to ESPN. Pues yo, yo la verdad eh, me he sentido en casa desde que llegué, eh, me han recibido muy bien la afición, eh, no solo porque he marcado goles, sino desde antes de, desde, de que marcara goles ya la afición eh, me hizo sentir en casa y les agradezco mucho y espero poder regresárselo con esto, con muchos goles. Por último, ¿está todo bien con Cocho entonces? Sí, no, o sea, no fue nada grave, eh, yo creo que los medios por ahí lo hicieron un poco más grande de lo que fue, pero siempre estuvimos excelente. Elsewhere in Europe, Jorge Sánchez getting his first Eredivisie start for Ajax as they beat Heronven 5-0 on Saturday, Hurt. Yeah, this is a, a good assist, but that through ball from Edson, that is sexy. Good vision, good little through ball. They have a good understanding with each other for the Mexican national team and Jorge Sánchez, first assist. First start. First assist, Ajax, uh, top of the league, two points ahead of Santiago Jimenez. 
and Feyenoord. From Holland to Greece, Orbelin Pineda with his third goal of the seasons for IK Athens, unfortunately, comes hurt in a defeat 2-1 to Panathinaikos. Yeah, Panathinaikos, uh, top of the league, and, well, IK Athens, they're uh, trying to stay afloat. What are they, 2-2, two two, seventh place right now? This is a good goal by El Maguito, and then, look, staple finish right there. And Pineda staying hot, making a bid for more playing time with El Tri. Eric Sanchez, two goals and an assist. Ah, sorry, Alexis Vega first. With a goal against Puebla, Herka Golazo against Puebla. It really is a Golazo. Uh, great timing too. Look, uh, this right here, he gets a little pull right there. It gets him off balance, but the finish of the left foot is superb. Third of the season. Big goal there for Chivas against Puebla. From Vega, who got the big one late. As I mentioned, Eric Sanchez, two goals and an assist <laughs> against Cholos as uh, Pachuca won 6-1 on Sunday. Oh, what a golazo. Two goals and an assist. Pachuca's heating up at the right time. They've got some ballers. Obviously, Kevin Alvarez, Luis Chavez. Those kids know how to ball. They are heating up at the right time. And not a bad time to get your brace. Two yeah, goals and an assist. Yeah, calling for uh, all those guys to get called up by Tata Martino for the next L3 call-up just a few days. Big win as Cholos continue to struggle. Sorry to our many Tijuana fans on the production team. Jesus Gallardo up. He's heating up. Third goal of the season for Rayados. Yeah, what, what, what does Moreno say? Optional defending and how about the goalkeeper? That's your near post, Talavera. You can't get beat there. I mean, uh, what's going on here? Just right through everybody and oh no, Tala. Hmm. So that's our Mexican national team pool. Run it back, Kirk. But anybody that was paying attention to Liga Mekis over the weekend saw some goalie wars. Well, if not goalie wars, at least goalie goals. Carlos Acevedo late for Santos in the 3-3 against Querétaro. Yeah, that's being brave. Look where he put his head. Ends up crashing with another player right there. But he gets the game tying. Look, it's right there in between three guys and Querétaro's head coach. <laughs> Literally said, that's all we needed, a goalkeeper to score against us. They can't catch a break. Hey, Mexico needs a forward. <laughs> I'm just saying, you said versatile players have a better chance of making the World Cup squad. There it is. More goalie goals. Julio Gonzalez, a late one for Pumas. Yeah. Danny Alves, fourth assist of the season. Julio Gonzalez actually had a goal that was very much his fault. Needed this one. What a header, snaps it down. And look at this, look at this. All by himself. I don't know why nobody wanted to at least pick him up. Well, he'll take that. Julio Gonzalez getting it done against Toluca. So, what does the Liga Mekis table look like? Remember, the top four go straight into the quarterfinals. 5 through 12 into the play-in. Orrepechaje, as you can see, going to be a very dramatic end to the season down in Mexico. Coming up on Sunday, more Liga Mekis for you on ESPN Deportes and right here on ESPN Plus as well. One of Herc's former teams, Santos Laguna against FC Juarez. Coverage starts 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Sunday. All right, Herc, let's turn our attention to a story we've been covering for a while. Bombshell article earlier this month from Jeff Carlisle at ESPN.com detailing the reported efforts of Portland Thorns and Timbers owner Merritt Paulson to dissuade Paul Riley from applying to the U.S. Women's National Team manager job back in 2019. Riley, of course, the longtime NWSL manager fired 
from his job with the North Carolina Courage last year amid accusations of sexual harassment and coercion of players, dating back to his time in Portland when he was Thorns manager in 2014 and 2015. Joining us now, the author of said bombshell article, Jeff Carlisle. Jeff, it's been too long. Great to have you back with us here on Football Americas. Hey, thanks for having me on. All right, so let's get into the why and the how. Why exactly uh, did Merritt Paulson dissuade Paul Riley from trying to take the U.S. women's national team job? How did he do it? And maybe most importantly of all, uh, why is it so important, Jeff, that he would have tried to do that? Well, how he did it was he, he and, and, and the North Carolina Courage owner, Steve Malik, had a phone call together. Uh, and in that phone call, Merritt Paulson said that it would be, quote, a good idea, unquote, if Paul Riley withdrew from consideration. Now, obviously, that, that would have done a couple things. It would have uh, reduced the, the level of scrutiny that was on Paul Riley uh, and would have prevented the details of you know, his firing in Portland from coming out. And it also would have preserved, you know, preserved the, the reputation of the clubs involved, um, you know, that being the Portland Thorns and, and the North Carolina Courage. So, you know, why this is important? Um, I think this is another instance of the game's gatekeepers looking to not only protect the professional reputation of Paul Riley, but their own reputations as well. All of that at the expense of player safety. I mean, some of the allegations that were leveled at Paul Riley and have been leveled at other NWSL coaches, I guess I should say former NWSL coaches, have been horrific. And so, you know, again, this is just a, another case of, of, again, some of the game's gatekeepers making some really poor decisions uh, at the expense of the players who, you know, presumably they're there to protect. Jeff, these uh, revelations come from an investigation of a law firm into the Portland Timber, Portland Thorns and Timbers um, organization, uh, into the accusations against Paul Riley. I'm curious if anything else came about this uh, investigation. Uh, a few things. Um, you know, originally Riley's departure was portrayed as kind of a, a mutual parting of the ways. You know, his contract wasn't renewed. He wanted to go back to the East Coast. Uh, but what this investigation revealed was that, at least to the employees of, of the Timbers and the Thorns, was that, you know, Riley was terminated for cause. And, um, you know, he, all kinds of things like breach of fiduciary duty, um, you know, public embarrassment, things of that sort. Um, the, the letter, the termination letter to Riley, you know, from what the law firm reports, did say that nothing unlawful happened. And that was kind of a, a crucial element uh, into Paul Riley's departure from Portland because it kind of opened the, the door to allow him to be hired by somebody else. And that's exactly what happened. Um, you know, some other revelations, um, you know, the the interview process of, of Manashim, who originally reported these accusations or originally leveled these accusations, and also Sinead Farrelly. Sinead Farrelly was only interviewed once, and that was to corroborate Manashim's allegations. And, you know, as it turned out, uh, you know, in the reporting by the Athletic, Sinead Fairley was engaged in a in a allegedly, you know, sexual relationship with Paul Riley, and so, you know, why didn't that come out? Well, they only did one interview with Sinead Fairley because they decided that once they had reached the threshold that they were going to fire Paul Riley, um, they didn't really need to dig any deeper, and that is unfortunate because certainly some additional details came out about the the relationship between. Fairly and Riley. And so uh, there was 
some kind of excuse making, I think, by the law firm, because they said that the, the law firm that did the initial investigation didn't really know about uh, grooming, didn't really know about trauma-informed investigations. I mean, grooming's been around for decades. I mean, you know, I've, I talked to one expert uh, in employment law, and he made that assertion that, you know, obviously the, the concept of grooming has been around for a while. So it, it almost looks like the initial investigation was kind of being left off the hook a little bit. Um, and there were also some other revelations about how Riley got hired again. I mean, the Western New York Flash, who eventually became the North Carolina Courage, they reached out to the Thorns and said, what kind of a coach is Paul Riley? And, you know, Gavin Wilkinson, the, the, the Thorns president of soccer, he was basically instructed to say anything about how Riley was fired, you've got to defer to the league. You've got to, you've got to forward the Flash onto the league. And so at that point, Gavin Wilkinson was, was left with the question of what kind of a coach is he? What's he like on the field? And at the time, Riley had a good reputation as a coach within NWSL circles, just in terms of his on-field performance, as if you can ignore, you know, the other accusations that resulted in his firing. I mean, it, to me, it's you, you can't separate one from the other, but that was the position that the Thorns took. Uh, and Riley was hired five months later by the Western New York Flash and uh, eventually moved down to Carolina with the team when they were relocated. So, Jeff, it feels like things are kind of piling up uh, in Portland when it comes to these situations. We've got the aforementioned. We've got the handling of the Andy Polo situation with the Portland Timbers. We've got the Oregonian report about a toxic work environment, especially for female employees. Um, how far are we away from potential discussions about potentially a change in ownership in Portland? I ask that again, just basically thinking back to what we've seen in the past with Real Salt Lake, Deloitte Hansen, and RSL and the Real Monarchs. Well, I mean, outwardly, it appears that the rules are not the same for everybody. Um, you know, obviously, Deloy Hansen did what he did. He made the comments that he made. He oversaw a toxic work environment with Real Salt Lake. And eventually, he was forced to sell the team. But I think Don Garber, back in February, right before the start of the season, I mean, he, he said the quiet part out loud. I mean, the league very much values Hank Paulson, Merritt's father and Hank Paulson's a former U.S. Secret, you know, Treasury Secretary, uh, you know, investment bank executive. The, the league really values his contribution uh, at board meetings uh, just in terms of the future direction of the league. And so I think that's kind of uh, current ownership's ace in the hole. I mean, those those owners in Portland are valued to a degree that I don't think Delroy Hansen was. And so at this point, uh, I would be surprised that the league took that step. Um, but again, we'll, we'll see what happens and, and we'll see what kinds of discussions are going on behind closed doors. Hey, Jeff, before we let you go, you know, Sebi and I were actually in Orlando for the U.S. Open Cup final. Uh, and the big story, at least pregame, was Spygate. Uh, apparently, allegedly, I should say, or I guess it's not even alleged, it was confirmed. Uh, an employee of Orlando City was caught spying a Sacramento Republic training session. You were on top of this tweeting all about it. What came about this? What, what do you know uh, as of now? Well, within the U.S. Open Cup Committee, that's inside the U.S. Soccer Federation, there is a adjudication and disciplinary panel. And basically any kind of complaint or protest that is made in relation to a U.S. Open Cup match is forwarded onto them. Um, you know, I reached out to U.S. Soccer uh, earlier today. They told me, that there's going to be, hopefully, the goal is for them to meet later this week. Um, but I, I think at some point, it, it, now it's not a question of whether they will meet. I mean, it's just a question of when. And then we'll see what the what that panel decides. Um, 
I mean, I don't think at this point the, the game is going to be forfeited or anything like that. I mean, the game has been played and, and Orlando won. Um, but it would not surprise me if there was some kind of fine, uh, some kind of light sanction, um, just to kind of get the message across that, that what was done is not okay and uh, shouldn't be repeated in the future. But it will also be interesting to see if the USSF takes some steps to arrange for uh, training facilities for, for visiting teams in, in the latter stages of the competition. You know, my understanding is that Sacramento had to find a facility on their own. It was a holiday weekend. Um, I think there might have been a little home cooking involved in terms of uh, fields being made <laughs> available or not being made available. So uh, I think in the future, it would probably behoove the USSF to, to just make those arrangements themselves and and uh, it, eliminate the possibility of something like this happening again. Home cooking, that's what you get when you host the U.S. Open Cup Final. There he is, Jeff Carlisle of ESPN.com. Jeff, thanks as always for joining us here on Football Americas. My pleasure. What did you see in that first 45, and what do you want to see in the second half? I don't know if the ref's Canadian or what, but the last couple calls are ridiculous. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. <laughs> All right, our time for the good, bad, and ugly. More MLS. Caleb Porter upset after Columbus blew a 2-0 lead late against Montreal over the weekend. The good here, though, is Montreal. They clinched a playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. They also, Herc, set a franchise record for points. Who said rebrands can't work? That's right. Look, club record, win 16, points 53, and goals scored. Oh, Nancy's doing a ridiculous job here. Listen to the next four games. I'm going to tell you. There's four games left, okay? Very winnable games for Montreal. Chicago at home, New England away, D.C. United at home, that's for sure, and Inter-Miami <laughs> away. Woo! To the bad, the New England Revolution. Shout out to Opta for this stat. The Revs have dropped 29 points from winning positions this year, Herc. Most in Major League Soccer, they did it again this weekend, blowing a 1-0 lead and losing 2-1 to the New York Red Bulls. That's insane to me, especially where this team was last year. 73 points in a calendar year. By far the best team in the regular season in Major League Soccer. To this, Bruce Arena, by the way, has only missed MLS playoffs once. That was just 2008 after taking over for the LA Galaxy with the LA Galaxy. <laughs> About to do it again with the way the East is going right now. This is crazy to me. We got campionitis everywhere. Supporter Shield campionitis here in Major League Soccer. We got it in NWSL. We got it in Liga MX with Atlas. Uh, the Revs there struggling a year after taking home some hardware. Ugly. Oh, hurt. Another penalty miss 
for Javier Chicharito Hernandez. This one comes in a 1-1 draw for the Galaxy against Nashville. Joe Willis with the big save there. At least it wasn't as bad, it wasn't as ugly as the Panenka miss, right? Right? Oh, <laughs> man. You know what the worst part is? He had a discussion with Vasquez, Brugman, Marky Delgado. Kind of said, no, I'm going to take it. Still ends up missing it. Uh. All right, Herc, so what do you think? Is it time for Chicharito, the great goal scorer, to give up taking penalties for good? Yeah, it's time. You could be a great goal scorer and just not be good at penalties, and that's fine. You're still a great score, goal scorer, and that is where Javier Hernandez is today. But somebody needs to talk to him. And mm. it's not something like, hey, you need a friend. You need a life coach. It needs to be the head coach. You can't take the penalty kicks anymore because at this point, it's costing the team. It's costing the team points in a very contested playoff race. Right now, you're below the playoff line. You're chasing RSL. Those points, I know it's game in hand for the LA Galaxy, but time is running out. Those points could prove costly. We've already seen last season how important a single point can be. Mm -hmm. for the Los Angeles Galaxy. You saw what happened when RSL visited Kansas City and ended up winning that game in Kansas City. As bogus of a win as it should have been for Salt Lake, maybe it should have been a penalty, or uh, sorry, a, a handball. No goal. It wasn't the case. You were one point away from going postseason. Look at this, Seb. Look at this. It's not mm -hmm. just Javier Hernandez. Dejan Jovalis just missed. Uh, it's to the point right now where the only ones who are confident in actually shooting the ball are Marky Delgado, Sasha Kleshton, and Ricky Push. So whose role is it to kind of step in here? Obviously, Chicharito Hernandez, you would hope the player would say, hey, I'm struggling here. I take myself out. But he's a great player. He's a goal scorer for a reason. And a big part of that is ego, right? It, clearly, it's difficult for him to step away even when he's not converting at a decent rate. Is this on Greg Vanny? Is this kind of a thing that Greg Vanny has to take, take a hold of right now for the LA Galaxy at a critical point in the season? It's strange because it really shouldn't be on a coach to tell somebody, hey, Maybe it's not you. You should have a little self-awareness there. But at this point, it is Greg mm -hmm. Vanny. And Greg mm -hmm. Vanny needs to have discussion about maybe next season or maybe in the future. But right now, you're not in a good headspace for a penalty kick. You need to come out. Somebody else needs to do it. But this is crazy to me when I saw this stat. Like, how do you explain it? How do you explain that somebody who's so good at finishing is so bad at penalties? Well, look at the names on this list. I mean, Carlos Vela happens to be the worst in Major League Soccer over the last three seasons in conversion rate. And then it's Chicharito Hernandez, and then it's Nani. Like, the names on this list are baffling to me. Players that have played at such a high level that could deal with pressure and miss a shot from a little over 10 yards out. It is insane to me. But it needs to stop for the LA Galaxy. Listen to their calendar, a very winnable calendar. And this is very important for the LA Galaxy. You've got Vancouver away, winnable. Mm -hmm. Colorado at home, a team that you're fighting for that playoff spot with. San Jose away, winnable, and it's a Clásico as well. RSL at home, the team you're literally chasing in that final playoff spot. And then Houston away, Houston's a dumpster fire. Like, it's a very winnable calendar. You shouldn't be in this position where you're fighting and tooth and nail for every single point, but you are because of the missed opportunities. And they're not missed opportunities as we didn't take our chances well, we didn't defend well. It's I couldn't put a spot kick in type of missed opportunity. All right, so the Galaxy fighting for a playoff spot out in the Western Conference. You know who else is? The Portland Timbers. Huh? It's the Caleb Porter Bowl, speaking of. Columbus against Portland, Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. ESPN Deportes, and of course, streaming live on the ESPN app. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Kirk, what about the U.S. women's national team? Big news for the defending World Cup champions. U.S. soccer announcing that the national team will face off against Spain on October 11th in Pamplona. So another difficult road test. This one coming just a few days after the United States faces off against England at Wembley in what we know will be a sellout. So, Herc, the U.S. is the number one ranked team in the world. They are the defending World Cup champions. What are your expectations for the two games against England and Spain? Two wins? It's very easy. My expectation is, at least from everything you've told me, is to show us that they are still the best team in the world. Mm-hmm. Two very difficult games in away settings, uh, settings that you don't necessarily find in the CONCACAF environment. Uh, you're going to play England, Euro champions, and then you're going to play Spain, who happened to lose to England in the quarters, but were four minutes away from actually winning that game. If not for an Elatoon equalizer about four minutes from the end of time, that forced it into overtime, and then you know what happened. Uh, England mm-hmm. took the rest. Uh, for a team that you maintain is still the best in the world, but its players majority of them didn't crack the top 10 in the ESPN top 50 mm-hmm. women's players in the world. And if you look at the short list of the women for the Ballon d'Or on the American side, you had Catalina Macario, who's out with an ACL. You had Trinity Rodman, who's had an abysmal season um, with the Washington Spirit. And Alex Morgan, who is of the old guard. So for a young team right now that's mm. going to transition, I expect them, according to you, to show us that they are still the best team in the world. Right, so you're saying that according to what I say, they are the best team in the world. They should win two games. I'm actually thinking we should be tempering expectations here. <laughs> based, based somewhat on what you just said, which is where they're going to be playing. I think we all thought that when they went down to the CONCACAF W Championship in Mexico, they would get some big crowds, yeah. some intimidating atmospheres. If we're honest, that didn't really happen. Nor the it, big it wins, Sebi. It, it didn't really happen. They got some good wins. Um, but they didn't really get tested in terms of a very difficult environment. A, a packed, a sold-out Wembley is a difficult environment. You know they're going to be going crazy there. You know it's going to be intense in Spain as well. And the U.S. has been in Spain before and struggled against this Spanish yep. team who loves to boss the ball. We saw them, I would say, in fact, struggle against the Spanish team at the last World Cup, too, in the knockout round. So I actually would be really surprised if the U.S. wins both of these games in the upcoming window. I also say that, Herc, because we didn't see the best of the U.S. at the CONCACAF W Championships. Yep. Vladko Andonovsky himself told us they will be ready for the World Cup in 2023, but they're not ready quite yet. So I think this, going away, going to England, going to Spain, is going to be a real tough test. 
And I don't know that I expect them to win both games. I don't think I expect them to lose both games, but I think a win and a draw would be a very, very good window. That would be an acceptable window for me for the U.S. women's national team as they face off against two of the best teams in the world in England and in Spain. Let's run it back from elsewhere in the women's game. Start with Alex Morgan. 15th goal, Herc, of the season. A lot of them have been from the spot, but that's still 15 goals. 15 goals, four clear of Diana Ordañez and Sofia Smith, both with 11. Listen to this, three more to go to tie Sam Kerr's regular season record, which is insane at her age. This is insane that she's performing so well. That came in a crazy game, her crazy game between the San Diego Wave and my Washington spirit. Rose Lavelle of OL Reign with her fourth goal of the season off that left foot against Chicago. It's a banger, too. Like, somebody's got to step to her. You know she can bang it. Step to her. Oh, look at the movement on that ball. Rose Lavelle. Always magic for OL Reign. Celebrating against the Red Stars. Special moment here. Crystal Dunn returns to the field for the Portland Thorns less than four months after giving birth. What a moment. Yeah, I don't even know what to say about this. That's, that's crazy to me. Like, how physically fit you have to be to do this. This is my respect to the women out there in Crystal Dunn because this is insane. Yep. Remember, at one point, my number one player in the world a couple years ago when I got to vote on the ESPN FC top 50. She'll be big for Portland. She'll be big for the U.S. women's national team when she gets back with the stars and stripes as well. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, what did you make of this? Amber Brooks scored a brace for Washington uh, against San Diego Wave in that crazy game we were just talking about before. But she really, Herc, made headlines for her reaction to a pretty obvious missed call yeah. where it appears that she turns and flips not one, Herc, but two birds uh, over towards the opposite sideline. And she was caught on camera. And it wasn't on just any old stream, Herc. It was on big CBS national TV. Uh, what do you think? All right, so... Amber Brooks. There it is. There, there, there it is. There it is. Amber, this, by the way, that corner kick ended up being the game-tying goal yes. uh, against St. Diego. It was significant. It was significant, without a doubt. Um, Amber Brooks is a defender who ended up scoring two goals. So she's already on the right. high there, right? But she also right. caused a penalty into Alex Morgan. That's one. And then the corner kick and swing corner kick, which ends up tying the game. I can understand the wave of emotions going through, but you cannot do this. You cannot do this and you will be suspended. I, I get it. But also, I am here for it. <laughs> Oftentimes in North American football, North American soccer, we are so vanilla, so bland. There are no villains, no storylines. I love this, Amber Brooks, but there are consequences to it. Yeah, I'd be surprised if she doesn't get to, at least to call from the league office as we take a look at the NWSL table playoffs coming up. Top six get in. And there you see one through seven. It's very tight. Uh, Kansas City current with a one nothing win over Gotham FC over the weekend. That has them, as of right now, top of the table Seb. in the National Seb, congratulations. They also snapped a 16-game losing streak with that. There it is. The big 4-3 win for the Spear. There's some good news in Washington, D.C. on a soccer front as the Spear do pick up a victory over San Diego, who was first place in the league. All right.
right, Herc, time to continue the road to Qatar. Our latest installment features Ethan Horvath, who sat down with Sam Borden. Uh, let's check it out right now. It's a big moment for the 25-year-old Ethan Horvath. It's pulled away by Horvath. A huge save for the substitute goalkeeper. It's going to create just a bit of space, Horvath. Ever since you're little, growing up, uh, dreaming of World Cup, uh, just representing your country. So for it to happen and for it to happen at the age of 20 as well, it was a really, really special moment. And uh, like we said, it's probably why we're doing this, something I'll never forget. Your backstory is interesting. You went and you were playing in Norway at a pretty young age, right? How did that all happen? And sort of, can you walk me through what led you to be in that situation? Long story short is uh, kind of went on this European tour and uh, we were there for like three weeks. So it was like teams, scouts always came, watched trainings and we played teams from like Germany, Italy, Switzerland. So teams and scouts came and watched stuff. And uh, I was, I want to say 16, 17 at the time. Uh, yeah, that's when Molda saw me. So after those period with the team was done. I went to Molda for one week to train and whatnot. And uh, after the first training, uh, the goal, goalkeeper coach Richard Hardis and uh, the head coach Ole Gunnar Solskjaer just called me in and said like, yeah, we've seen enough. We want to sign you. Uh, but the, the thing is, since I was so young, the problem was staying in the country since I was so young. So after that, that week, I went back to, to the U.S., started junior year of high school the next day after I landed. Uh, and then from there, you know, just went about normal life. And then I had to go back to California for a U18 camp, and that's when Molda called just asking if, does Ethan have a team, what's going on? And so that's kind of where it all started. So after that camp, I went back to Norway, and it all kind of started from there. So I was there for three months on my passport. And uh, when I had to go back to reset my passport, they flew my, my parents over and kicked off from there. A lot of guys go over and don't have their family around. What was it like for you to be able to go through that and after the first three months have your parents there with you? Yeah, it was really special and uh, helped a ton because I was uh, 17, 18 at the time now. And so to be at, at a young age like that in a foreign country, I've never been to, don't understand the language. It was really, really nice and made the transition really easy to have my parents there for two years before they went back home. What did they do while you were training all day? I mean, did they work or what happened? Like, I mean, two years is a long time. They just, they worked at the stadium. The The club got them jobs. It wasn't the most glamorous job, uh, just like custodians at the stadium because to get a, a work visa, you have to do something. So that's what they did. and. Uh, uh, since I was that young, I was able to get a family visa with them. 
and um, yeah, you know, like I know it was not a nice job, but at the same time, I know it was special because while I was training, they were able to watch training and uh, yeah, see the evolution of everything. That's a big sacrifice, though. I mean, you know, for them to put their lives on hold, I'm sure, you know, you must look at sort of where it's led you and be really grateful. Yeah, yeah, 100%. You know, if if uh, we didn't do like if we didn't do that, who knows what the path or what would have happened, you know, so uh, yeah, just really, really grateful for that. You know, guys talk about competition for positions all the time, but it feels like with goalkeepers, it's a little bit different because there just isn't as much rotation generally. How do you go about coming into a camp and knowing that there are several talented keepers who are all trying to get the same job that you're looking for? Yeah, you know, you can only control uh, yourself and what you do, you know, so you just go first of all day by day and uh, support each other because you know it's a team sport at the end of the day and we all have the same goals and same objectives. Um, but like from my my point of view, you know, you just got to control what you can control and that's just how, how well you train and how much you put into it. You've had some really memorable moments already um, with the national team. What do you remember about that night against Mexico? Yeah, almost everything. Uh, no, it was it was really really special to, uh, like for me, it's not so much the penalty save. It was just to have it in my hometown and in front of family and friends. That's that's what I remember the most. Just to share that moment with everybody and then the team, of course. What would it mean to you to have moments like that, or hopefully even better ones, if the team is able to make it to Qatar? Yeah. I don't think it's just for me, but everybody, you know, like we said, growing up from whenever you started playing the sport and watching it and uh, watching the World Cup and everything, you know, it's uh, memories that will last a lifetime. I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. It's, it was everyone's dream to represent your country in a World Cup. So Ethan Horvath back into the starting lineup in recent games for Luton Town in the championship, which we will remind folks again, you can watch on ESPN Plus this season. As we told you earlier in the show, Zach Steffen is out of favor at Middlesbrough, Herc. So what does that mean for Ethan Horvath's World Cup chances, you suppose? Well, they increase. I think that's the obvious there. But let's assume that Zach Steffen is still in the picture and Matt Turner is still in the picture. And it's very, mm -hmm. one, very much a one-two race for who's that starting goalkeeper. It's the third goalkeeper, right? That's where Ethan Horvat would fall into. And your competition is Sean Johnson. And mm -hmm. let's say if you want to include, because I know you like Gaga Slonina, Gaga in that list. So there's okay. a three. Okay. One of those players has stepped up for the U.S. men's national team in a primetime moment. Y you saw him light up when he was asked about stepping in in the CONCACAF mm -hmm. Nations League final and that penalty kick moment against Andres Guardado. Only one of them has that moment. The biggest goalkeeping moment to date under Greg Berhalter's tenure hmm. might have been that exact moment and probably, I would say, that exact moment behind Zach Steffen versus Mexico. So, yeah, yeah, he probably has that third uh, goalkeeper spot uh, in line. Really? All right. I would have uh, gone with the opposite. I would have said, yes, of course, you got Turner uh, and you got Zach Steffen as your favorites, and then you've got kind of, the dark horse category, which includes both Sean Johnson and Ethan Horvath. I think Sean Johnson's a better goalie and also a better candidate to be the dark horse to make it. 
uh, as the third goalie, despite the fact that, as you say, it's it's fair to mention the big Dark. moment Dark belongs would... to Ethan Horvath. Oh, fine, but Sean but... Johnson is, has much more experience. Yeah, but much for sure, but experience. that's why he wouldn't be a dark horse. Dark horse would be Gaga Salolina out of nowhere. That, that's a dark horse, right? Okay, I'm just breaking it down for that. However you want to call it, Herc. I'm okay. breaking it down for that third race, right? If, I'm just saying, if I'm it saying wouldn't between shock me. those two, I I would say I would be much more surprised if we see Horvath and Sean Johnson at this really? point. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, I got it's Sean a good Johnson. Debate there. We'll leave it up for list. the fans. All right, Who would surprise so, you more? Okay, there we go. We will, uh, we will leave it. We'll, we'll see what happens uh, when the U.S. team roster is dropped. Now, we know that the U.S. is going to open their World Cup journey uh, against Wales on November 21st. And we know that it'll be at Bin Ali Stadium. So why don't we hop on the train? The last train to Qatar, a series by our good friend Martin Einstein, as he takes us to the stadium where the U.S., will open their World Cup journey on November 21st. To the east of Doha is the second most populated city in Qatar, an area surrounded by desert, where in the past, rural villages and farming land were located. This metro station is stunning. The size, it looks really modern, and the shape of it, it's really amazing. We're actually in Er Rayyan right now, and it's a place that's really close to the desert, has developed so fast, it's become one of the most popular residential areas here, home to the biggest mall, and um, football. Football team, yeah. Al Rayyan. True to its name means irrigation area, a region rich with tradition because of its people and their soccer team. The Ahmed bin Ali is home to a historic team and a World Cup venue. A 21st century sporting masterpiece, this stadium holds an innovative touch that revolutionized the sports industry around the world. Hello. Mr. Saul. How are you? Nice to meet you. Good, nice to meet you as well. How are you doing? You like the stadium? Beautiful. What do you think? I love it. Yeah, yeah. Before our local competitions, they start late in the year because we wanted to make sure that the stadium will not have a thermal injury. Weather will be one of the challenges. We cannot attack or solve this challenge without relying into, into science. It's a huge challenge beating the hit. Today, we're going behind the scenes to reveal the World Cup's most exclusive addition to this very special stadium. An integral air conditioning system for all players on the field and fans in the stands. This is the heart of the air conditioning for the whole stadium. All the stadium before we built it, we, we studied for 30 years what's the effect on the weather using computer simulations. We printed the stadium in a model and we put it in a wind tunnel and we've seen physically how the wind is interacting as well with each part of the, of, of the, of the stadium. We push cold air under the seats 
Under each seat, we have a small box. It's like a shower head. And air will come out just slowly and then hug the spectator in a very, very gentle way and make the spectator live in that bubble. Field of play is far off. So I wanted something to channel the air to the field of play. And that's why we use this nozzle. Martin, look. Ah, it's cold. It is. This is the famous feature about yeah. these stadiums that everyone's talking about. It is amazing. You can feel it even from here. Can you see this screen? Yeah. This is like a, a windbreak in order to make sure that the, this small bubble that we created, it is there and protected against the attack of hot air coming from outside. People will not notice that uh, because it must blend with the architecture as well. We don't want the stadium to be industrial. The stadium is a beautiful creation of human mankind. In our region, because the weather is hot, yes, we have a lot of sunshine, but we shy away from the sunshine because it's a little bit hot. And, and by doing this, um, we have a deficiency in vitamin D um, within, within the population. Hypertension, uh, uh, very high obesity, uh, and this is because of lack of um, sports. You know what they're trying to do when the World Cup finishes? They're going to turn this place into a recreational area for the community to use, like biking, walking, like a track. You know, they're gonna take advantage of the fact that there's a roof, AC, and all of this is gonna be dismantled. A solution to avoid the feared white elephant. The great mastermind behind this complex development is Dr. Saud Abdul Ghani, better known as Mr. Cool. A man with a plan, one, that can mean a total transformation for life in the desert. Props to Martin Einstein and the crew on the last train to Qatar. We'll be seeing lots more of that on Football Americas. Kyle Lahren, as we run it back for Canadians, Herc, with his first goal of the season for Club Rouge, took seven games, but a big goal oh, there for the Canadian striker. there's your Canadian-hating ways. It took seven games, he says. He still scored the goal, Seb. CONCACAF leading goal scorer, World Cup qualifying. Don't hate on Canada. 2-0 win for Club Rouge over RFC Serang in Belgium. Alfonso Davies with an assist as Bayern played to a 2-2 draw against Stuttgart. Shout-out to Pellegrino Matarazzo for getting a point against the defending champions. Yeah, this kid, by the way, who scored the goal, I forget his name, wasn't he like Bayern's youngest goal scorer ever? Uh, yes, Davies, by the way, also played a part in one of Stuttgart's goals, I should mention. Oh, had, Canadian uh, hating ways. Turnover there, yes, me with my anti-Canada ways. More Bundesliga on ESPN Plus this coming weekend, Saturday, 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Borussia Dortmund against Schalke. Oh, big one there. <laughs> Will we see Gio Reyna? Find out Saturday morning on ESPN Plus. Time for the parting shot. Spanish outlet AS is reporting that the United States is a, quote, serious candidate to serve as host for the next FIFA Club World Cup. Of course, the FIFA World Cup is taking place in November and December, so that means the Club World Cup would take place between February 6th and 12th 
of 2023. Again, somewhere reportedly in the United States. All right, Herc, what would this mean, do you think, for Seattle's chances at the Club World Cup? <laughs> They'd get a lot better than having to play in Abu Dhabi, um, China, or wherever else they've had the Club World Cup. That's just a fact. You can get some of your people mm -hmm. there, some more support. You may do better against some of these world powers, if uh, you want to call them that. Mm -hmm. So you think, you think it'll help? Where do you think they should have it? Seattle. No, but they're not going to have the whole tournament in Seattle, bro. They're going to do somewhere neutral. Where would you have them do it? Why not? That's what they do when they have the Club World Cup at Abu Dhabi. They All right, go, let's, and let's say they Abu don't Dhabi pick there. Seattle. Let's say they, they pick no, somewhere but that's else what, in the No, United but they States. should pick Seattle. And, and U.S. soccer and the Seattle Sounders and whoever else wants to organize this tournament in the United States to do everything in their power mm -hmm. to have it in Seattle. You're going to have a sold-out Lumen Field anytime Seattle plays, and you're going to have Real Madrid. So wherever they play, Lumen Field is going to sell out every single game. I've been to the Club World Cup with Pachuca mm -hmm. in 2010. You're playing in empty stadiums. You're playing in 120-degree weather in winter, okay? It doesn't matter sometimes. This will matter. So if they go there, Abu Dhabi and Dubai, because the organizers want it there, why can't U.S. soccer say we want it in Seattle? Why can't they increase their own chances? I don't understand why not. If there was a Mexican team playing in this, FMF would do everything they can. If it was Club America to have it at, guess what? Azteca Stadium. The most clear example of Sounders TV. No, yet where would you have it? Tell me, RFK. Uh, I would have it anywhere where it's warm. So California, Texas, Florida, take your pick. Plenty of stadiums, and I'm sure you'll draw big crowds there as well. Let's book it, Herc. You right. know what we got coming up on Wednesday? A trip to New York City, a Yankee Stadium specifically, for the Campeones Cup, featuring New York City FC against Atlas, the champions yeah. of Major League Soccer against the oh, champions of Liga MX as we take a look at the tail of the tape for each of these teams in their current season. So Herc, who are you taking on Wednesday night? Uh, this is a tough one. <laughs> Pick your poison here, but I'm going to take Atlas. Really? Yes, and the, the bet is quite enticing. I believe it's at Two, uh, plus 275 if Atlas wins. Let me tell you why I'm going to take Atlas. Atlas is a dumpster fire right now. They've got like a 1% chance of making it to the postseason, and they understand this. They understand it so much that they decided to take the weekend off in Lasta San Luis. They didn't start with like six starters. Uh, literally, Camilo Vargas, the starting goalkeeper, Hugo Nervo, Santa Maria, very important players, sat this one out. They're letting everything ride on Campeones Cup. And if we look at the other side of that equation, New mm -hmm. York City FC, New York City's got something like five points in their last 10 games. Uh, they've conceded first in eight of the last nine games. They're by in no means a good position for me to be betting on them. So I'm going to take Atlas. Okay, you're going to take Atlas there at plus 275. I'm taking New York City FC because I don't bet against New York City at Yankee Stadium, Herc. You just don't do it. It's not a very good payout there. Uh, what is that? Minus 143. So there you can see Vegas, the odds makers, they agree with me. They see New York City as a very big favorite. Also, shout out to Sean Johnson. I feel like uh, should this come down to a penalty shootout or anything else, uh, New York City might have the edge there at home. Sean Camilo Vargas is one of the best goalkeepers in Liga Mekis, if not the best. I'm giving Sean Johnson the edge in penalties. Campeones Cup Wednesday, New York City FC against Atlas. Coverage starts 7.30 p.m. Eastern time 
on ESPN2. Herc and I will be there in New York. Post-game coverage live from the Big Apple as New York City FC and Atlas square off. Herc, I'll see you in New York in 48 hours for no, the next edition buddy. No, you of won't. Football Americas. I won't? Well, not at the hotel. You picked another one. Oh, you're, no, you're they not. wouldn't let me into your fancy hotel. No, I'll have to no, talk no. to my agent about that. They said, nope, Seb, you're not in the A-list category, bro. You're in the RFK of hotels. Wow. I no, am I in the Lumen Field I don't of hope hotels. this hotel isn't on fire. <laughs>